Welcome to Lessons from the Helpful Dead, where you'll learn the world is not what it seems and you are much more than you think you are. Here you'll learn about positive and reassuring messages from supposedly dead people whose main purpose is to help us. Find out what happens after we die, why we're here, how we got here, where we're going, and discover that you are really a powerful eternal spirit. I'm Dan McEnany. Today, as promised, uh, we'll address some of the big questions and the big ideas concerning our life and the afterlife. But before I get to that, I want to make a couple of brief points about the last session we had, which was about how we can bring about the reality we want with our beliefs, our expectations, and our emotions. I realize that could sound like a big order, but in that uh, regard, I wanted to pass on what Seth recommended. Uh, He said that you do not uh, have to be a meditator uh, or spend hours on the attempt to bring about the reality you want. Instead, he said, if you'll just take five minutes a day and uh, briefly just focus intently on whatever it is you want to bring about, uh, that's fine, and then forget about it. But during the day, make one little action. Take one little action that proves you have a belief that it will come about. This helps connect the spirit ideas with the material world. So one example, for instance, would be, uh, let's say you wanted more money. Uh, you would go out and spend maybe a dime more on something uh, that you normally uh, than you normally would spend. Or if you wanted to attract a certain type of person into your life, you go out and buy some little thing that you would wear on a date with that person, showing that you have the belief that it's going to come about. So you don't have to spend a lot of time. Just take the five minutes, concentrate on nothing else but what you want, and then make that one act daily that shows you have a belief that it will come about. The other point I want to address is that uh, I refer to Seth as he, but obviously uh, Seth is an entity that has many personalities within what he is, and many of those are feminine. One of them is Jane. All of our big selves will generally have uh, some incarnations as male and some as female. The spirit entity, Seth, really doesn't have just a sex. It doesn't have sexy. It's an entity and it's composed of many personalities that uh, would have both male and female characteristics. So my apologies to any females who might feel a bit slighted, but rest assured uh, it is not meant to be that way. And also, if anything, uh, Seth strongly emphasizes that we put too much emphasis on sex, since especially most of us will have incarnations in both sexes. All right, let's uh, turn to some of the, uh, the big questions. Uh, let's start with reincarnation. Why do we keep coming back, or do we? Now, to answer these questions accurately, according to Seth, we need first to understand who we is. If by we, <laughs> we mean us-focused personalities that we currently, currently know ourselves to be, such as John Smith, uh, Mary Jones, or Dan McEnany, the answer is we don't keep coming back. We do continue as ourselves, 
but we also become more integrated into our big self. So is it correct to say that our big self is the we who keeps coming back? Well, it would be, except that the big self that we're an integral part of exists outside of our notions of time. So the big self doesn't, quote, keep coming back. Instead, it incarnates simultaneously in a lot of different time frames, as we've already seen. With our present limited awareness, we could be forgiven for seeing these other personalities as past and future versions of ourselves, our focus personality. From our perspective, reincarnation is true, but from the big self's perspective, simultaneous incarnation is true. So why does the big self incarnate in so many different ways? Well, according to Seth, it's because one of the main reasons for coming into this reality is to learn how to create within it in a responsible and constructive manner. So we're also here to experience earthiness, those rich emotions that can only be experienced in a reality like ours. The, the agony of betrayal, the joy of victory, the joy uh, and excitement of a surprise or the ending of an athletic contest. All of these uh, are some form of excitement uh, or emotion that would not be able to be, we wouldn't be able to experience that if, in fact, we already knew the future. So a reality like ours where we don't know the future and where we are continually excited by a variety of things, uh, our reality is especially suited for that. Apparently, there are a number of realities where people do not have any emotions at all. And those experiences are certainly not as rich as ours. So to go back, the big self wants to experience the earth life from many different perspectives. In so doing, it gathers to itself a rich emotional experience that is there forever. Now let's take a look at some more basic questions. Uh, here's one, who is God? Well, according to Seth, God is all that is. You are not outside of God. There never was a separation between you and God. For that matter, the nearest table, chair, or piece of earth is also part of God, and each of them has its own consciousness, not at the same level, uh, level as yours, but a consciousness nevertheless. Consider what's been called the primal dilemma. Uh, all that is, this great loving creative force behind everything, has simultaneously, number one, a knowing of the magnificence of total creation given a free hand to do as it will. And number two, an impetus not to let go, not to let anything outside itself. Now, if you can get your head around that idea, then it's, I'm not going to say it's easy, but it's possible to grasp this. God is the simultaneous, infinite explosion of all that is. So think about that, simultaneous. That means it's all happening now. Infinite, that includes everything. Wars, lovemaking, bliss, treachery, you, me, the people we love, the people we hate. Next question, what's the purpose of creation? Well, the whole purpose of creation is to create, 
to constantly create objects, emotions, relationships, ideas, ideals, and more. By its very nature, all that is, that's God, all that is must constantly change, constantly be expanding into new creation, or it wouldn't be infinite. In this big explosion, all that is lets go, lets part of itself develop an awareness of themselves as identities separate from the other parts, yet knowing all the while there is an underlying unity of all the parts. Each entity then is free to, and in fact must, create its own experiences, constantly giving birth to subunits of itself, experiencing the joy of creating with abandon. The subunits in turn create their experiences, and using the same energy their creator did, create subunits of themselves, and so on. Each subunit is aware of itself as itself, and each has the power to create. A big tree is probably the best ana analogy for the whole process. It grows limbs, which in turn grows branches, which in turn grows smaller branches, which grow leaves. The tree does not grow a leaf directly from the main trunk, but the leaf is still very much a part of that tree. So much so, in fact, that if just one leaf turns from green to gold, the tree is no longer the same. Now, just like the leaf, if we choose to create ourselves in a given manner, we are creating a part of God. We are creating an original extension of one of the far corners of all that is. And all that is is very much aware of it. Now, in a previous discussion, it was mentioned that Bob Monroe, in one of his experiences, found himself caught up in a long procession of, quote, big entities who were taking the form of much bigger balls of light than he was. They were, he was told, bringing back gifts to their creator, the gifts of their collective experiences on earth, so that the creator could know itself more fully through them. Of course, Monroe had no way of knowing whether that creator then returned to a still bigger creator. From that perspective, it's easy to appreciate how the act of creating is essential to our experience on this planet. So, <clears throat> from a larger perspective, the big you is likewise part of a big, big you, which is energizing the big you and the big somebody else. And from a still larger perspective, the big, big you is likewise part of a big, big, big you, and so on. This continues until all beings are united in one super big you, or all that is, or God, whatever term you like to use. Let's talk for a moment about the awesome diversity and the depth of creation, much, much greater than any of us would normally even imagine. Let's go back to the explosion that I talked about. As you can imagine, all hell breaks loose, and all heaven and earth for that matter. Some entities create entire universes in which the only form anything takes is a musical note. Others create universes where everything is some form of light. Still others choose no material form at all, but a universe composed entirely of emotions. Others choose various types of combinations. There are literally endless possibilities. Millions and millions of worlds are created all at once. Now let's consider the ground rules for world number 
386-014-9257. That's us, right? Somewhere in the infinite number of worlds and somewhere along the chain of sub-entities, some entities created what we are experiencing. Now, I have no idea of whether we're at the third level of splitting off or the three millionth level, and it doesn't really make much difference in practical terms. But these entities decided to create a world in which they could experience all the earthy emotions, like longing for the good days gone by, anticipation of an exciting event, the joy of a new love, as well as anger, regret, loneliness, and other emotions less appealing to us. Now, some sources tell us these cannot be experienced in the majority of universes. In order to experience these, there would have to be certain ground rules. Uh, I'm talking about in order to experience these emotions. Okay, these are the, the, the ground rules that we have are the root assumptions. And uh, you would have root assumptions in any game, be it checkers or football. So some of the ground rules we have for spirit entities uh, who decide to enter the human time-space illusion, that, that's us, the Earth, um, are this. Here are some of the ground rules. We will have ourselves experience something called space and something called time. We will perceive things through very precisely tuned senses. And those senses can pick up only a, a very narrow, very limited range of realities. We will create the illusion of cause and effect. We will have a value system, good and evil. We will allow our focus personalities to lose the knowledge in some of these time periods that everything is one. We will have a planet with many forms of material life, including animal bodies, into which we can send our consciousness. And seven, we will let the groupings of different levels of consciousness, each with varying degrees of complexity, branch out and crystallize at various points along the way. So some will go into lions, some into elephants, some into trees, rocks, dogs, etc., and some into humans. So the different levels of consciousness with varying degrees of complexity, they uh, enter various animal forms uh, in this material earth that we're on. Now you have to admit, this is a very clever little game they set up with all sorts of possibilities for new experiences. And this is where we are. We're focused personalities in a kind of play or a game very real just as a play or a game is, but with a greater underlying reality and an important purpose. We'll stop here and we'll talk about uh, that purpose in the next session. Again, I'm Dan McEnany bringing you Lessons from the Helpful Dead.